Thank you for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. Before we dive in, just my usual disclaimer that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and does not substitute individual, professional, medical, or mental health advice. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host, Kara Corinne of Kara's Kitchen. I'm a holistic health coach, published author, and online course creator. And today we have a really awesome episode with Jessica DeMossi. She's a total firecracker, wildly intelligent, super sassy, and such a pleasure. I'm so excited for you guys to get to know her today. She's just a wealth of knowledge, and you can't help but want to be BFFs with her. Just a quick reminder before we get into the show that you still have an opportunity to enter to win a giveaway. The giveaway prizes include your choice of a one-on-one coaching session with me or access to my online course, Break Free from Binge Eating. All you have to do is leave a ratings and review in iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts to be entered into that giveaway. So if you like what you hear, pretty please go support this itty bitty baby podcast, spread the news and share the love. Okay, let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Love Your Bod Pod. It's Kara here. And today we have a really special guest with us. Her name is Jessica DeMossi. She is a certified eating psychology coach who specializes in functional endocrinology. She believes real talk is the only kind of talk and is passionate about shining a light on the lies regarding dieting, women's health, and female worth. Yes. Oh my gosh. She does this on her Instagram with a series called Taboo Tuesday and on her blog where she shares science-based women's health and hormone info that is weight-inclusive and diet-exclusive. Jessica, thank you so much for being on the show today with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yay. And being round of applause, Jessica is the very first ever guest on the Love Your Bod Pod. No big deal. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) No, no pressure at all. Oh my goodness. Um, So To get started, to kind of break the ice, warm things up, I'm going to go through with you what I call awkward first date questions. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I have received over the years of awkward first dates. Oh my God, that's brilliant. Yes. I can't wait to hear these. And then you get an opportunity to add one question to the mix for future guests to answer. And so if you don't have like a specific question from an awkward date, just toss a question out there. I know you're married, recently married. I am. Yes. Congrats. But I do, I have stories. Okay. I'm married, but I have stories. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Perfect. Okay. First one. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I wanted to be an actor. Tell me more. Okay. Okay. So uh, yes. Well, I mean, I, I, uh, so I actually was an actor for um, about 16 years in LA. And then I quit when I moved to college, actually. And you'll find out when I had my eating disorder, I quit the industry and I went to college and recovered. And then I discovered what I'm doing now. And then I just haven't really gone anywhere. So are you in anything that we would know? I did a lot of commercials. Okay. A lot of pilots, mostly commercials, which was fun. I mean, you are kids. So you basically just show up and they're like, look at the camera. You're like, okay. So I mean, it was, it was a blast for me and I love the performing arts, but talk about a hard situation to be in when you're a kid growing up with body image issues. You know, there's like, I did a lot of print work and you see a lot of Photoshop happening and you're just a kid. So it's kind of all being filtered in 
your kid mind. And so you kind of internalize, I'm not good enough. Cause I'm not, you know, I don't look good enough. I'm not skinny enough. I want this enough. So that was like actually a really big part of my story overall. Just fine. Yeah. Wow. I didn't, we have similar overlaps. I never did acting, but I did a little modeling and worked really? in the fashion industry right out of college. Mm. I didn't know we had similar yeah. media based. Yeah. Hat. Yeah. It's hard. I can only imagine too. I, I did a little bit of print work, but I was never, I was never, um, a model. Like I never, you know, Mike marketed myself as a model, but I can only imagine I had friends that were, and it was really difficult for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a breeding ground for, for body dissatisfaction. Yeah. Okay. Next question. What is your biggest pet peeve? Like in people or my husband, because I feel like there's like two different. So in general, bad driving or okay. slow driving, because quite going to be completely honest, I'm not the best driver, but I'm an impatient, I'm an impatient driver. So when people are going slow or, you know, they don't use a signal, I like have major road rage which is my best shining moment. And then at home, it bugs me when people, I don't know, because you cook. So it's like when you're using utensils and then you leave them on the counter and my husband will come and like take them and put them in the sink and I'm not done using them. <laughs> oh, oh, my biggest pet peeve. Okay. <laughs> That's not too bad. I totally relate. And, you know, I feel like other people can relate to those pet peeves too. Yeah. Yeah. They're not terrible. They're not weird ones, I think. Okay. Last one. What is something that you are really good at, but is basically a useless talent? Uh, well, I'm really good at Im like impersonating people. <laughs> I like impersonate people all the time and I'm really good at it. Like someone will be walking by and say something and I can mimic their voice and everything. And it's useless because that pretty much only serves to make fun of people, which is not okay or just, you know, to entertain myself when I'm home alone working. So that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's so good. That's, that's, you came up with that quick. Yeah. You know, it, like that question good. stumped me for like 20 minutes. <laughs> like I can see why that would be. Cause you're, yeah. A lot of people don't recognize the weird talents that they have. Cause we're so, you know, humble or we don't recognize our own awesomeness. Yes. Um, okay. So now you get to add a question to the mix. Okay, this is actually a weird, this is a weird question, but I was asked once, you know, if you were, if an apocalypse happened, how would you take your food with you? Like, would you take your food with you and how would you, it's the stupidest question I've ever heard, but we were eating burgers and fries and my date was eating his fries first. And I was like, I don't understand why, why you're doing that. And he said, well, if anything were to happen, you can take your burger with you, but you can't take your fries. Oh my so gosh. Like, so, that, so the question was like, well, what would you do in apocalypse? How would you take your food? Like, like what would you do? So I was like, okay. Okay. Spoiler alert, that was my husband. Oh, <laughs> that's so funny. Okay, so how would we frame this question? Like, if an apocalypse were to happen, how would you travel with your food? So, okay, yeah. So, like, if an, okay, if an apocalypse would happen, what would be the ideal, like, dish that you would want to be eating at that moment? You know? Okay. You want to be eating pasta. You probably want a burger. You want, depending on you know what would you want the the meal to be in the middle okay. of a, a life. Something that's portable. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's a weird question. Okay. I love it. That's that's great that you recall that. And I actually think that that's pretty clever of your husband. He is. He's a clever man. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, as we mentioned in the intro, you are an eating psychology coach. I met you or. I met you through Instagram. We haven't met in real life yet. I love what you post on Instagram. 
Um, I would love if you could just give us a little bit of a background about like your journey to becoming an eating psychology coach and like kind of connect the dots. Like you mentioned having an eating disorder. What led you to where you are now as it relates to food and body image and stuff like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I grew up like most girls having really high rates of body dissatisfaction, you know, never feeling good enough and kind of modeling after my mom starting to diet when I was probably around 13 or 14 years old, right? Right about when we hit puberty, which is really common, your body starts to change and we think that that's a bad thing. So we start to try to restrict our calories. We start counting. Um, and that's kind of what happened to me. And it blew up into a full-blown eating disorder when I was a senior in high school and lasted a couple years. Um, I had at the time, not only was I suffering from kind of devastating mental consequences because I was just like the obsession over food was really ruling my life, but a lot of physical health issues. I was in the hospital twice when I was a freshman in college because of major gastritis attacks because I was literally living on coffee and like it was eating away at the lining of my stomach. I hadn't had a period in years. Um, my hormones were kind of all over the place. But there was there was just a lot of issues going on. And so when I, after a few years, I kind of, I didn't have an aha moment. Like I think some people did. It was just a slow recognition that I was sick and I was sick of being sick. And so I wanted to get help. And so unfortunately, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't in an eating disorder treatment facility. So that was one thing I didn't do it that way. Um, And I think it took me a longer time because I didn't reach out for support. But I, when I was trying to recover, I noticed that when I went to doctors, they were sending me to a lot of different people. So I was going to a psychiatrist who was telling me I was depressed. And so they're like, you should probably be on antidepressants. And then when I was going to my endocrinologist, because I was having all these health issues, they said, you know, let's put you on birth control to get that period back. And I just felt like everyone was not recognizing the point of what I, why I was suffering. Right. It was like, nobody was really connecting the dots in my life. And I felt very, my care felt very segregated. And I then became very segregated and I didn't have a holistic approach to healing. And so I thought, you know what, this isn't, you're not even really addressing the root cause of why I was here in the first place. And so throughout my recovery, um, that was what I realized that I needed. And then other women must have needed that too. So when I graduated with a neuropsych VA, I went on to become certified as an eating psychology coach and then went on to study under functional endocrinologists so that I could have that kind of dual um, ability for care, right? So that we could talk about eating psychology, our relationship with food, body image, and then also let's start to look at how that is implicated in our biology as women, like how your relationship with food shows up in your body in sickness in hypothalamic amenorrhea and all of these issues that women have um, in recovering from chronic dieting or full-blown eating disorder. And so that was kind of where Holy Healed was birthed because it really is about whole healing. And it was just kind of out of a lack of the healing that I didn't receive, you know, and it took me a long time to kind of realize that. Mm. So it almost sounds like you created what you wished existed. Yes. Which is, I feel like so many entrepreneurial entrepreneurs, um, sort of path is that they were like, this would actually be really useful. Okay. I'm going to bring this to life. And that's an overlap that we share is that I didn't get traditional treatment either. And, um, and it was partly because of such a disjointed experience or not being acknowledged for the, what was actually happening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, there's such, it's such a broken system right now. So even if I were to go to treatment, I have no idea if I would have even been admitted because 
a lot of them only rely on your looks or you're not sick enough. And unfortunately that trips up so many women because then they're convinced that they don't have a problem and that they're okay. But in reality, they really do need help. Mm. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. So one of the things that I've been hearing people talk a lot about online is how our society promotes disordered eating and it disguises it as health. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, where to begin? I have, well, I mean, even if you're looking at eating disorders, we now have a new eating disorder orthorexia that's relatively new. I think it was only kind of like finalizing last 10 years to actually be admitted as a real eating disorder. And it's this idea that, you know, we have become as a society so great at hiding our disordered tendencies around food because now we're pursuing health. But what happens is people get so caught up in purity and and cleanliness of food that it affects their ability to live their life. And so if you're, it's one thing to say, you know, I'm restricting calories, but you're also, you're looking at another person who's restricting types of food. They've completely eliminated so many food groups because they deem them unhealthy or unclean and they're not, you know, promoting my health. And so they're living on such limited food quantities and qualities that you're having that same obsessive tendency. It's just directed somewhere else. I think that's what people don't understand is if your relationship with food is interfering with your daily life and causing you stress or causing any obsession, then you have an unhealthy relationship with food. I don't care what you're eating or how much you're eating. And that's really important to kind of know. And I think that unfortunately in today's society, we have pretended like we've gotten over the dieting thing. Like we're like, oh, you know, you know, diets are so lame. Like they're not even that healthy. Eat healthy, you know, like just focus on health. And so unfortunately we've kind of elevated this healthy eating so that it's now become just a new diet and people are still finding their worth in it. People are still judging how good people are based on how quote unquote good the food is that they're eating. So really it's just a new, a new replacement, I think for diet culture, or I would just say a, a part of diet culture. Cause right. it's still there. Yeah. Yeah. So have you ever heard, um, other people in this realm of eating disorder recovery and anti-diet space describe wellness culture as the new diet culture? Yes. I absolutely have. And it's so funny because I think that, um, I don't know about you, but a lot of women who have come from classic diet culture transition into the wellness diet culture without even realizing it. And their disordered habits actually don't change. But people will probably think that they're healed now because they're focusing on health and they're not focusing on, you know, you know, manipulating their body, quote unquote, as much, but really they are. And I think the truth of the matter is if we're using health, and healthy food as a way to, you know, replace a coping mechanism or manipulate our body and still use it as a way to adhere to unrealistic beauty standards that are presented to us in the media, it's still disordered and it still is diet culture. And I think that's what people don't realize. Um, not to mention the new obsession that food is the only thing that translates to health, right? So like mm. not recognizing that health is your mental health and your emotional health and your physical health. And there's so much emphasis on the body. And so unfortunately, because there is so so much emphasis on the female body in general, that's just translated into the wellness culture, which is why it's become disorder because it should never only be about your body. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so much of it is, is presented as just being based on the way that you look as opposed to your mental and your emotional well-being, how you're thinking about yourself. Right. The actions that you're taking, all right. of that plays a role. And I'm, 
I'm curious, do you have a point of view on um, how, well, obviously you do. As an eating psychology coach, can you actually talk about how our psychology around what we're eating is so important or how it gets so tripped up? Yeah, so this is actually really fascinating. Um, what you think, I would say this, what you think while you're eating is just as important as what you're actually eating. Your digestive um, health actually is 40 to 60% what happens in your brain and people don't realize that 60% of digestion can actually just happen in your thoughts when you're looking at your food. So this can mean the difference of someone, two girls eating exactly the same thing, but one of them is thinking, oh my God, is this fattening? Is this bad? Oh my God, is this going to give me a stomach ache? Oh, oh, is this going to make me gain weight? I feel like I shouldn't have this many carbs. That obsessive stress that we have can actually lead to you not utilizing that food as well. Inflammation in the gut, inflammation throughout your entire hormone system because you're raising your cortisol and you're shifting your nervous system to a sympathetic nervous system state. So you're like getting ready to run and fight and flight and all that stuff. And you're eating as opposed to someone else who's like, this is just food, I'm chill. They will completely handle that food so differently, even though it's exactly the same food. And this is the problem that I think people are having is we're focusing on the food and we're completely neglecting the fact that how you think about the food and how you think about yourself is so important in your overall health and just your quality of life, I think. Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. I always, I always tell my clients, it's, it's not about the food you eat. It's about what you think about the foods you eat. So exactly yeah. what you just said that so much of it is a mental mind game. And there's a lot of hard science for this. So you had mentioned about how we activate the different parasympathetic nervous system or the sympathetic nervous system, right. so our flight or flight response, or we're relaxed. There's also the placebo effect talks about this. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's so interesting because People, and here's, I think what it comes down to is we've talked a lot about stress in society. So people know, oh, stress is bad. Stress is bad. Stress is not good. But what we neglect to realize is that negative body image, obsessive thoughts around food, feeling dissatisfied with our body is stress to our brain. And yes. we don't understand that because it's so normalized in today's culture. It's normal to hate your body and it's normal to stress about food. But in reality, your brain is program to not categorize stress in boxes. Stress is stress. So whether you're running from a tiger, whether you're freaking out about a work deadline, or whether you hate the way you look in your genes and it's you're, you're thinking about it a lot, your brain is setting the same stress cascade in your body that's creating that inflammation, that's stopping your digestion, that's shunting your blood away from your vital organs, right? So all of this is happening and that's what people I think are not realizing is, no, that's stress. And like, no, actually that's damaging. And I fully believe, and I know this is a very bold statement, but I say it all the time. I believe that diet culture and chronic dieting is the greatest threat to women's health today. Yeah. Um, it just, it's yeah. so damaging physically and emotionally and it's causing, and I think the hardest thing is because it's so sneaky and people don't realize how damaging it is. Mm. Not even, I mean, to piggyback on you, um, I love the boldness of that statement and you could argue that to death about like why that's accurate. I also just think in general, it's just a threat to women coming more into balance and talking about not to get too into feminism or uh shifting from the masculine energy and the patriarchy totally. into more femininity i just think that the obsession with female appearance is preventing women from fully engaging in life oh, in the totally. way that women need to engage in life yes yeah, it's one thing. It's one thing to say, oh, it's causing all these bad things, but it's also preventing you from 
from reaching all of these good things. So it's that dual sword. It's, it's both. Yeah. I love that. I love that you said that. Have you heard Naomi Wolf's quote? She says, um, a culture fixated on female beauty. No. What is it? A culture? Is it the, Go is ahead. It the one that the, the uh, distracted um, population, is that one where she's talking about yeah. how dining is the most potent political sedative? Yeah. The I'm going to pull it up. Population yeah. is a... Um, I'm gonna pull it. Yeah, which I—that's actually one of my favorite quotes of all time because it kind of just illustrates we are using our brain power, our limited resource on this one thing, while so much of the world is happening, and we are completely limiting our ability to grow and become full humans because we are distracted. And that's like the one word that I think perfectly describes women today is distracted. Yeah. 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 We're donating a large portion of our cognitive resources to micromanaging our body and to self-objectification and food obsession. Um, And just so we can get this quote on here that we're talking about, it says a culture fixated on female thinness is not an obsession about female beauty, but an obsession about female obedience. Dieting is the most potent political sedative in women's history. A quietly mad population is a tractable one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Music to my ears. I love even though that it's like poem. painful. It's so good because it's just, oh, it's so good. It's like, I feel like it's just like a wake up call that yeah. we need to have, you know, like, like there's no, I've ha- you know, Christy Harrison calls dieting the life thief, which I think is such a great term for it. It's, it literally robs us, robs us of life, both physically and emotionally and mentally. And I just, I love that quote. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, love the the descriptor of it being the life thief and i resonate with that and i am assuming you can too just only from personal experience and anecdotally from your own life like i literally feel like my eating disorder is still 10 10 years of my awareness mm-hmm. from me absolutely because because just because you are somewhere doesn't mean that you're there and so for all the years where I was somewhere, I was at college, I was doing all these cool things. My mind was on what was I gonna eat? And oh my God, how was I gonna order from this menu when it wasn't vegan? And at the time I was using vegan, you know? So all of these things in my mind was so somewhere else and your mind is your body. So when your mind's somewhere else, you are not there. And so you'll look back on your life and you're like, those years, where was I? I, was, I wasn't present. Yeah, no, you can physically be somewhere, but mentally, yeah, you're not there, totally. All right. So one of the things that I love most about what you produce and share with the world are your taboo Tuesday posts on Instagram. So the very first one that I ever read from you was how fat is not a feeling. And even prior to reading your posts, I had heard that, right? Fat is not a feeling, but your way of describing it was just so powerful and impactful. And immediately I was like, okay, I'm hooked. So I want you to talk a little bit about your Taboo Tuesday topics and, yeah. and how that came about. I would love for you to talk about the fat is not a feeling one um, and also your most controversial one too. I think that would be interesting too. Oh, yes. Okay. So uh, if anyone doesn't know, my Taboo Tuesday is a hashtag I use and kind of created to be a series on my Instagram and it's, its purpose is twofold. One, to bring light to a lot of shameful topics in women's health. So we've talked about orgasms. We've talked about UTIs. We've talked about discharge. We've talked about all of the women's health things that you're kind of afraid to go to your doctor about and you don't know how to handle. I got you. So that we talk about that. And then the other part is to bring up really taboo topics in diet culture, in feminism, in 
really women's lives and are shining a light on things that we don't talk about enough. So for example, that fat is a feeling, fat is not a feeling, was kind of addressing something that I think women struggle a lot with, which is making us our bodies and making our identity our, our bodies. And it's stunted our ability to emotionally process and articulate what we're feeling. Because as women, we grow up thinking we are our bodies. So if anything goes wrong in our life, why did it happen? It's because our body was wrong. It's because our body, something was wrong. And so we kind of escape actually growing and learning and stretching our emotional intelligence a little bit. And so that whole post was about, A, fat is not a feeling, one, because that is just a biological part of a body. And so it's, it's like saying fingernail, you know, like it's, it's not, it's not a feeling. And then two, realizing that when you make your body a feeling, you're escaping actually addressing what you're really feeling. So instead of using language like that, why don't you use language like, I feel unworthy, I'm struggling with my worth, I don't feel good enough, I'm feeling you know, unattractive, and that makes me feel unworthy because I'm supposed to be attractive because I'm a woman and that's, that, there's that conflict there. And that's really what it's about. And so you're, I think you're referring to my most recent one was about female empowerment. And I posted saying, you know, nudity empowers some and modesty empowers some. And we never have the right to say what empowers other women. And it kind of blew up, at least from what I've seen. <laughs> and a lot of people um, had opinions about it. Ironically, most of them were men, which I find so fascinating. It was um, so many women I think were expressing, Oh, you know, that that's fair. You know, like I feel hurt. I feel, I feel, you know, resonated with. And a lot of the people that had a problem with that was men. And I have to say, it's, I think it's ironic to me that it was a picture of my body in a non-sexual way. And that was the first time I ever received hate from men because when a woman's body is not presented for their pleasure, they will uproar about it. Um, or at least a lot of men, because that's kind of the patriarchal society we live in. So that was really fascinating. And that has been my latest Taboo Tuesday adventure, which has been fun. But that's exactly what Taboo Tuesday is for. It's supposed to bring light to taboo topics and to kind of get people talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love your Taboo Tuesday. Taboo Tuesdays. Know, That's a gumball for me. Yeah. So if you're, you're not following Jessica on Instagram, Holy Yield. You definitely want to go do that. Um, so back to the most recent post. Um, or well, quickly, the that is not a feeling thing. I the way that you described it was so articulate and so beautiful, and it really described how we superimpose non-weight-related issues onto our body. Yes. So like things that really have nothing to do with the size of our body, we then transfer them onto our body because our society has taught us that our bodies represent certain things, right? And that's, it's cultural conditioning because that's a lie. Our bodies are just instruments. They're just what we show up in, but our bodies really can't tell us too much about who we are as people, right? Right, right. And I think that that's, again, why so much of what I talk about with body positivity is not necessarily that you need to love every inch of your body. You just need to realize that you are not your body because yeah. as young girls, you grow up thinking that that's the most important thing about you. And so that's where Holy Healed came from was we were, as women are not grown up in a um, integrated being. We're grown up segregated that we are our bodies and that's it. And so we lack the ability to express our emotions, to articulate what we're feeling outside of our body because we don't have that tools and we weren't taught them. And so fat is a feeling is fat is not a feeling is just that idea. You know, how many girls have said that growing up? Oh, I feel fat. But like, what do you really feel? Because fat isn't a feeling. So why don't you stretch your vocabulary and get those muscles working because your body's not the problem. Yeah, totally. 
Exactly. And then the most recent one that you did about female nudity, where some women are empowered by female nudity. And I immediately thought that you were maybe referencing porn. I don't know if that's what you were referencing or if you were just referencing women posting pictures of themselves in their bikinis. Hmm. So I actually wasn't referencing porn. That's funny. (laughs) No, I actually, so, you know, here's where it started out. Actually, the backstory is I had noticed, so I really love body positivity. It's something that like, I like to talk intellectually about. And I think that there's kind of people think that there's two sex. A lot of people assume body positivity is women posting pictures of their bodies. And then that's body positivity. And that if you're more body positive, you show skin. And then if you don't, you're not really because where's your body in it, right? And so there's not a lot of pictures on my Instagram of me in my underwear. Um, And that's just a personal choice. And so I was starting to feel like I was hearing these murmurs and conversations of people kind of taking sides or people blaming the other side. Like if you are taking pictures of your body, that's not empowerment because you're still making it about the body or the other side saying you're not being honest because you're not really showing up authentically in the body that you have. And people, and I kept hearing this and I was just like, we are missing the point because let's be honest, body positivity is rooted in feminist values and, and feminism and body positivity. is not a stick that you beat another woman over the head with. It is not a tool in dissension. And so that I made that post and I took a picture quite frankly, which is not a picture I ever really planned on taking. And, um, to make a point that it, there, there are no sides and that whatever it is that you do, it is not better or worse than the other. And however you choose to express empowerment, however you choose to show up in life and say, you know, this is, this is where I'm going to show up. That is up to you. And, and it's so important to realize that on the other side of that, even if women's motivations were not purely out of empowerment, the point of that post is to say, you never have the right to shame or put another woman down. That's just, that's, I think that that's kind of exactly where it came from because I had this realization that I've grown and I used to have, you know, maybe ill feelings towards women that weren't doing things the way I was doing it. And I realized and I had this, you know, kind of aha moment where I decided that shame for another human being, especially a woman, is never an option for me. So no matter what they're doing, whether I agree with it or not, whether it's what I would do or not, is not the point. Because support is so much more important than shame. Like you have to choose support over shame. And that's kind of the point is whether you want to do this or not, or whether they're doing something that you disagree with or not, it never gives us the right to put each other down. And that's kind of what that post was about because I was just seeing like dissension, even in the body positivity world where people were judging other women for how they were expressing empowerment. And that just completely defeats the purpose. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at, at, its, at the core, at the most fundamental level, it's actually in contradiction to real body positivity and, feminine, and feminist values because really what we're hoping to get out of these grassroots movements is allowing people to be fully self-expressed, allowing people to embrace their values, live out their values, to own what it is that feels most right for them. And gosh, I consciously choose not to show pictures of myself on my Instagram, not because I'm not body positive, but because I'm a thin white woman and no one needs to see more pictures of a thin white woman. Mm. That doesn't make me less body positive. Mm. I just understand the way that I look to people. Yeah, exactly. And, And it's one of those things where motivations is so important because only you, and this is what I said in the post, really 
What we want is to be able to look at a picture and be able to judge people's hearts to say, oh, she's really empowered or she's just faking empowerment or whatever it is that we'll gossip about. And the truth is that we're just looking for more segregation. We're looking for ways to separate us from them. And that defeats the entire purpose of what we're trying to accomplish. And so you can't judge someone's motivations. Like I can't judge your heart based on what you post and what you don't post and you can't judge mine. And that's why compassion and support always has to be kind of the front running emotion that we treat other women with instead of this shameful, um, dissension creating judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Just more judgment. It's, and it's just more of the same, like judging someone or making someone wrong or deciding that the way that they choose to express themselves isn't the right way. Mm -hmm. It's just more of the same crap that we're actually, it's more of the wall, same walls that we're trying to build down, that we're trying to break down, break down. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> no. Yeah. And it was, it's so interesting because I didn't really expect it to be that big of a post. I really didn't. And I got a lot of women, um, women's attention, but the only negative attention I had gotten so far was from men. Yeah. And it was either two things. It was either slut shaming, which I find ironic because I've never, I don't see a lot of men slut shaming women who are posting intentionally sexual photos because they think it's for them. Right. So it's like, it wasn't for them. And I think that there was that kind of that, that attitude. And then two, a lot of like that my wedding ring was showing. So I got a lot of comments of like, where's your husband? And wow, your husband, right. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's like comical to me because I'm reading these and my husband was right here. He's like laughing. He's like, oh my God. Like, it's just, but it's just so eye-opening because, you know, my community is amazing and they're supportive women. Um, and so when something goes viral, you kind of get like a peek into, oh yeah, the world is not my little bubble, a body positive, supportive women. You know, it's just, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. One guy, one guy was like, your father must not have loved you enough. And I- <laughs> And I at first said something nasty and I deleted it. And then I was just like, she loves herself and that's what matters most. But I wanted to, I like, I had to consciously choose not to be, I didn't want to sink down to that level, mm. but I wanted to say something because I wasn't, I was just so appalled by reading some of the negative comments. And I was just like, she's doing her thing. Like she's owning it. Like that, wow. that is awesome. Yeah, that's so funny. I, I like deleted and blocked like it was my job. I was like, I don't care about you. I don't care about. And the funny thing is, I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sassy. And so sometimes I'm like compassion, but then I'm also like, fuck you. So I mean, really, it's like you gotta have to walk the balance. But it's just so funny because it's like my, my everything I create is deemed for women and men. They're not a part of it. And I think that like they don't get to be a part of it. And so yeah. no, like I'm not going to allow them in this space that that's created for women because they don't get to have a space anywhere they want. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you acknowledged about how it's like, well, if it's, if women present themselves in a way that appeases the male gaze, then men are okay with it. But yeah. if it's in opposition to appeasing them or being for them, they're like, well, what are you doing, woman? Stop. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, what I have to say, if that's the case, then I'm doing something right. Because if it makes them uncomfortable, good, you know, because we don't exist for their gaze. And if they have a problem with it, then that means it's countercultural and it's okay. Yeah. So. And there's, a, there's so many amazing, supportive, loving men out there who yes. like your husband, like my boyfriend who are like, hell yes, girl, do your thing. You know, yes. yeah. let's quickly dive into a little bit about female hormones. You specialize in endocrinology and you talk a lot about the hormonal damage that we can do through dieting and eating disorders. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so 
Um, the biggest things that I focus on a lot on my blog that I talk about is your endocrine system is highly, highly sensitive to stress as a woman. And the reason this is, is because we are the sex that can carry babies. So we are very, very sensitive to any perceived stress. And um, evolutionary speaking, our body has designed to protect us from two kinds of stress, and it's that of a predator or that of a famine. And so diet culture and dieting and any kind of restrictive eating mimics a famine in our environment. And so what happens is our body suffers from thyroid dysfunction, our progesterone and our estrogen will tank, um, we'll lose our period, a lot of digestive issues can occur, a lot of issues in the body will happen from chronic dieting. And women don't realize this because we've normalized eating 1200 calories a day or 1300 calories a day. And you know, when I went on my Instagram and I started giving minimums, like I actually recommend, and of course these minimums are general, but I recommend at least 2000 calories for all grown women to be able to support reproductive function. And that caused an uproar. Like people were so confused because it's not, that's like so high compared to what they're being told to. And this is kind of an example of why so many women have hormonal issues today. Um, they're not eating enough. We're over-exercising. We are stressed about our bodies in the small moments that we're not restricting our food or, you know, exercising. And it's, it's, it wears our body down physically. Um, I've seen so many clients get their period back just because they've stopped intermittent fasting and they've started like just allowing themselves to eat when they want. I've seen so many women, um, be able to regulate their progesterone production and have less PMS because now they're eating more calories. Like they're just adding more calories back to their diet. And, and that's a revolutionary for so many people, but that's, so simple, you know, it's just so, so, so simple to be able to feed our bodies. It's such a revolutionary concept, but um, yeah, I mean, if you want me to go into specifics, I can, but in general, your thyroid, your sex hormones, and your adrenals are the three to your stool that are most affected by dieting um, in a female body, more so than men. So what would you say overall, have you, do you think has been the impact of these generations of women that have been dieting and not eating enough? What is the broad implications for a society? What's happening? Well, so biologically speaking? Biologically speaking, or just on a, on a whole collectively for, for women? Well, so I truly believe that on a whole, when you look at the big picture, we now have a population of women who are experiencing such major health issues and such major mood discrepancies, like mood instability from years and years of chronically setting your body in a famine state. Um, I've made like... I've even put it together that I, that I really believe that so many women are not able to succeed and accomplish the things that they want because literally they are not eating enough and they're not feeding their brain enough. Um, and there's like things that I'll say like that, that people will say, no, no way. Like, no, 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 no way. Um, but it's true. And so on the broad implications, you have to consider what happens to half of the world when we are chronically, sneakily starving them right? I mean, we experience emotional symptoms like um, that of, that's described to be classic women. Our moods are irregular. We tend to be snappy. We tend to be more irritable. We have, you know, hard mood swings. We're more emotional. Um, ironically, those are the same symptoms that were exhibited in the Minnesota starvation experiment, which I don't know if you know about. Yeah, but totally. They, yeah. They, they, so they, they basically chronically um, starved our group of men to about around 1400 calories. And they started exhibiting obsessive thoughts around food. They kept looking at pictures around food. They were irritable. They couldn't sleep. They had mood swings. They started exhibiting a lot of symptoms that people, oh, such a typical woman symptom. 
And I am convinced, I have like this like a conspiracy theory. I'm like, this is because women are chronically underfed. This is because women are chronically stressed in a stressed state. It is completely draining the life out of an entire half of the world. I don't think that this is a conspiracy theory. I know, I know. I say it's conspiracy theory, but let's be honest, it's true. <laughs> it is. I mean, what will happen to a population that is chronically underfed, it's really just a symptom of being part of the part of the world that is constantly being told what to do. That's, I mean, honestly. And so mm. we're being told what to do in what we should take, birth control, no birth control. We're responsible for this. We need to be small. We need to keep eating less. And what happens over time is it's diminishing us as women overall. And I think that we're in this really special point right now where they're starting to see a turn of tide and we're starting to see a lot of women start to rebel. Like, I'm not going to be diminished anymore. And so we're getting a lot of pushback. And the most important thing to do at this time, I think, is to keep bringing truth, which is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about Taboo Tuesdays or things that kind of knock down lies. Because until we realize that we are being in kind of an oppressed state where we're, we're constantly being told to be diminished, then we won't realize it because we're distracted. Right. And so you kind of need women to wake up like we're not going to be distracted anymore. We're not going to put our brain power towards things that don't matter anymore. We're going to focus um, on kind of taking up as much space as we possibly can. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Do you have like a specific example of maybe just from your own life of how dieting and these hormonal imbalances affected you and how you showed up in life? Yeah. So this is actually, this is actually a great question. Um, my first half of college, when I was starving myself, I tanked at school. And I'm smart. Like I was very, you know, like I, I love school. I love learning. I was tanking. I physically did not have the energy and the brain power. I mean, there were times in two hour lectures where I would start to become faint because I hadn't eaten up in the day and I couldn't focus on what the professor was saying. Um, it was amazing. And, then, and I started recovering this summer before my junior year. I came back those last two years after starting to actually feed my body and to be able to, because once you start feeding your body, there's that level of a lot, some of the obsessive thinking goes down because your brain can kind of relax because it doesn't sense a famine state. I like got straight A's for two years. And that's a very small, but very, I think prime ex perfect example of the only thing that changed was the fact that I was fueling myself. And that is how it affects me showing up in life. You know, like I graduated, I could start my career, I could show up in life academically, I could have intellectual conversations, I could contribute to my class. Whereas my freshman and sophomore year, it was like, I was just thinking about when I could get a snack because I felt like I was gonna, you know, faint. And then, oh, but I couldn't have that bar because that was too many calories, right? That's, that's where my mind was. Um, so that's an example I see in my life and I'm so passionate about because I want women to rise. I want women to bring their intellect and everything that they have to offer to this world. And we can't do that if you're not um, okay with taking up space. Yeah, you know? totally. I, I completely agree with you. We're about running out of time here. So let's wrap this up. I want to ask you one final question. And that is, what advice would you give yourself at like age 18? If you could go back in time and tell yourself what you needed to hear, what would you tell the younger version of yourself? I would tell myself that it's okay that I can take up as much space as I want intellectually, physically, with my boundaries, with people. I spent so much of my life being something for other people, being afraid to overstep the bounds that I was given as a woman. 
that it just really stopped me from being a complete and whole person. And now I encourage women everywhere to take up space. And that looks like being okay with your body size. And it also looks like speaking up and it also looks like setting boundaries. And it also looks like enjoying who you are and really coming into your full self um, because that's so countercultural and that's so rebellious now. And that's what I wish I would have told myself when I was, you know, 18 hours. Someone would have told me that it's okay. Take up as much space as you want, however you want, because you do not need to be limited in this world. Mm, I love that. Yay. Jessica, thank you so much for being here today. It was such an honor to get to chat with you. I adore you. I respect you. I'm inspired by you. I know other women are inspired by you too. Where can everybody find you? You can find me at holyhealed.com. So that's whole, like a whole pie, holyhealed.com or on Instagram at holyhealed. Yay. Thank you so much for being on here today. And I will see you. I will see you on the gram. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, don't go yet. Did you like what you heard today? If so, the most helpful thing you could do would be to go leave a ratings and review in iTunes. If you do that, you will be entered to win one of two awesome prizes, either a one-on-one session with me or access to my online course, Break Free from Binge Eating. I would be so very grateful if you were to go and do that. And I will be picking a winner in the end of October. Okay, that's all for today. I will see you guys next week. Bye for now.